I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So, Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson. I don't know how much they captured, but we were just talking pressure washers over here, like like dads should. Well, after it's, Father's it's day. the day after Father's Day, so of course we've been talking pressure washers. We're just like lamenting the the thing we didn't get for Father's Day. I just wanted a well, pressure washer. Yeah, my wife got one for her for her birthday. She decided really? that what she wanted was a pressure washer. So I had to do some research on the subject. And research in this in this case was thirty seconds standing in front of the, like the shelf at Lowe's. Yeah. I didn't realize Lowe's, not Home Depot, huh? I know it actually was Home Depot. Whichever one is like the one up the road for me on Beach. Whichever one wants to sponsor us, we'll take. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's the one I went to. Uh, but yeah, so we have one. I haven't used it yet, and neither has she. But it's sitting there in the house, ready Love to go. Good pressure. I, I didn't pressure wash anything until last year, and it was um, change your life. It was glorious, man. <laughs> I didn't realize how dirty my walkways were. My whole house needs a pressure washing. If if, if that's your thing, if you want to do it, I'll come by. Yeah, help out. Cool. We got to redo our deck. We got to paint our decks. We got to pressure wash that whole thing to get do it that ready. As well, but I, yeah, there's a lot of things I need to do. Anyway, we got a, we got some football we're going to discuss here. It's the contract show. We've got some great articles over at pff.com. Our guy Brad Spielberger talking about the best and worst contracts for every team in the NFL. Two separate articles. Also has an article up today, pff.com, the 32 best contracts in the NFL. So we're going to get into that and talk some money, talk some player value. But first, don't forget at pff underscore sam is where you can donate to have Sam dress up and look like me as a minor league baseball player. Yes. Um, with the card, it's sitting there. You can't see it on my shot, but you can see it on Steve's shot, I think. The, the Steve Palazzolo baseball card sitting there. There but I am. It, so it's, it's that shiny. has an example of the stash you had at the time. I'm not rocking that stash. It's ridiculous, and I refuse to do it. But what I thought might be good, you were telling me about because baseball had this arbitrary line in your face – you can only have like facial hair above this level. Yes, there is no facial hair allowed below the lip. Below the lip. Okay, so Top you were lip. telling me that there are humans out there that would just draw a line here and like keep everything above it, so yes. the side things and as well. I think I could do that. Our catcher would yeah. have you know as much sideburn was yeah. allowed, as just much mustache was allowed, uh-huh. and then this terrible area over here, like where where Hulk Hogan grew, like the really dark. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dark facial hair right. when he was when he became Hollywood Hogan. Yes, yeah. So that would be this dude's facial hair. Right. So I think I think if we if I have to rock your giant ridiculous glove, the size eighty two cleats, the nine XL pants, um, I think I could just draw a straight line across here and, and roll with that facial. So hair. you're gonna go with the. So not only <laughs> you're gonna dress up most likely like a San Francisco Giant, you're gonna also adhere to their minor league facial hair rules. Yes. I, and I'll, I will be as obstinate as possible in that regard and say I'm going to stick with your nothing below the lip rule, but therefore have everything above the lip. So to see all of that, at PFF underscore Sam, check out the GoFundMe yeah. to uh, raise money. For, will that be uh, a new GoFundMe to raise money for my divorce that will follow that, I would imagine? 
pretty pretty quickly. We'll just have continuous GoFundMe's over here <laughs> at the PFF NFL podcast. Um, so go check that out. And uh, money continues to roll in. We appreciate it, and uh, we're gonna have a lot of fun it with does. that. And of somebody, course, for good somebody cost. dropped uh, like a hundred bucks on this thing. So thanks, Thank big thank you to that guy. Equally large, not not equally large, slightly less large. Thank you to everybody else that donated less than a hundred dollars. We love you all. We just love the guy that donated a hundred a little little bit more. Um, at one of our goals at we each individually at PFF we have you know goals for the year and. A lot of them are sort of business related. A lot of them are personal. One of my goals was to raise a certain amount of money for charity through the podcast. I like. I really like this concept that we've done. Yeah. The Fro Show for you, which was freaking hilarious. Me dressing up as Minor League Steve. You know, we're raising like good amounts of money for charity. I think that's an awesome thing to be doing. I'm really excited that our listeners are on board and happy to throw some money at it. So. The more money we keep throwing at, at charities, and if you have an awesome charity or an idea of somewhere we could send the money, the next one that might be your we could we could raise money for your charity as well. So I am very appreciative. Fire in emails yeah. nflpodcast at pff.com. Let us know where we should send money uh, for the next charity drive. We we continue to get great emails. I'm very appreciative of our listeners. We're international. We're national. They're all over the place. It's awesome. Um, and one of the emails we did get was confirmation on who sent us the coffee stoppers. It yes. was Shad Sykes. Appreciate Shad. Shad. Um, and I have to read the first I like, sentence. I like that he sent proof. <laughs> yeah, he said <laughs> he did send. Um, I, don't, I, think, I think he wants you to pay him back is oh, why yeah? he did that. Okay. He all sent right. the invoice so that you could see how much he mm. spent so you could you know, reimburse him. Um, I sent the coffee stoppers to you guys. This is Shad. Yeah. Proof attached. Uh, because it's the least I could do for all the awesome NFL content that you guys have created and allowed me to indulge in. All of you guys at PFF have completely transformed the way I view the game of football and have turned a modest enjoyment of the game into a true passion. As you may have guessed, I also have a love for coffee and supporting local businesses, especially in times like COVID. He went on to say some other stuff, but yeah, he sent us the 400 stoppers, which we know we know exactly where they are. We're going to continue to use them, Sam, hmm. and uh, we really appreciate Shad. Look, I may have moved them from my car. And when I rolled into the Emporium, see, supporting local, not Starbucks. I rolled into the Emporium today. I had to navigate the idiot's parallel parking into the one tiny stop. Um, I looked around for the box, and it wasn't where it normally is, which is tossed with the bunch with the rest of the crap in my passenger seat. So I moved it, and the only way, the only place I could have moved it to, is my garage. So it must be there. I just. I'm just assuming that because I'm not 100% certain right It'd be now. great if you could find it would. It would be great. The funny thing is because we have such an international podcast and therefore a bunch of people from outside of the States where, you know, we're, let's say the rest of the world is a little bit more forward thinking in terms of like environmentalism and, you know, not destroying the planet with mountains of single-use plastic the way the U.S. is. So there's a lot of people that are like, come on, guys, single-use coffee stoppers. How, like, what is this, the 1980s? You know, so I have, look, I have a box of 400 of them. We have to use them. At that point, maybe we'll progress to like, you know, reusable coffee cups. Can I bring my PFF mug to the local coffee shop and just fill it up? Yeah. I'm, well, the problem is that I often get the coffee for both of us, and I'm not like toting your giant mug. Listen, I owe you. We'll get, we'll even when you soon. get yourself transport, by all means, get me coffee in whatever receptacle it comes in. I have a minivan. I just I share it right now. Anyway, let's get into it. Uh, best and worst contracts in the NFL. Shout out to Brad Spielberger. He's done this a couple different ways. We have an AFC breakdown and an NFC breakdown, again, over at pff.com. And today we'll have the 32 best contracts out there. So how do you want to do this? You want to go look at some of the team by team? I've got the um, 
Do I have best and worst? Yeah, I have best and worst by the AFC. Do you want to just go through some of the some of the highlights here? Sure. All right. So let's uh, we'll start in the AFC. We'll go through some random teams. The Baltimore Ravens really stood out to me because it's guard Kevin Zeitler as the best. Um, and good job by Brad pulling out the best and the worst. Their worst is Earl Thomas. And that's, those mm. are bad when guys aren't on the team. He's got $10 million in dead money in 2021. Um, I, I have to say, even when you're saying best and worst, you know me, I'm always yeah, I'm looking on the, the bright side here. Would you make that Earl Thomas move again? Yes. But obviously right now, it's yeah, not looking well. very good. I would, I would still make that Earl Thomas move a couple years ago signing him to this long-term deal, but it's not going to be good for 2021. No. Um, yeah, anytime you're paying somebody money or have a giant amount of debt, well, dead cap, they're two different things, right? There's paying somebody money like not to play for your team, and there's having a giant sum of dead cap money attached to a guy which is hamstringing you from doing other moves. Um, presumably for this, the purposes of these conversations were stripping out like rookie contracts, which right. are all the best. Yeah, rookie contracts are obviously the Any most valuable. Any quarterback on a rookie contract is the best deal. Um, so the Ravens, you know, Ze- the Zeitler move, they traded – I'm sorry, they picked him up after he gets released by the Giants. We, we did um, complement that move in free agency. Um, so they got him pretty cheap, $16 million guaranteed over three years for one of the better guards in the NFL historically or you know, during the course of his career. Yeah, and going to a an offensive lineman-friendly system in Baltimore. Like Kevin Zeitler is a – there's a very good chance that he ends up looking like one of the best guards in the NFL in 2021 because he has a fairly extensive history of being one of the best guards in the NFL, coming off the worst season of his career with the Giants, but now going back to the system that will make his life a hell of a lot easier, I suspect you're going to see Kevin Seitler looking really good again. The Buffalo Bills stood out to me again on this list, the best contract being Stephon Diggs and the worst one being edge defender Mario Addison. If you look at Stephon Diggs, Five years, $72 million. He's got $11 million in remaining guarantees. That is nothing for a guy that has helped transform that offense. Took them from, from good to great, so to speak, right? And became that true number one. Helped elevate Josh Allen to his MVP caliber season. And when you look at Stephon Diggs and what Minnesota gave up, you know, getting the first rounder in, in Minnesota makes out in this deal because they get Justin Jefferson with that first rounder. But if you're the Bills, you would do this. Still, every yeah. single time because of getting <laughs> Stephon Diggs to help transform that offense. What, what's amazing about Diggs is like, he was always a really good receiver in Minnesota, and he was just getting frustrated that, look, I can be more. I can do more than this. I can do the same things with a lot more opportunities, and I'm never going to get that in Minnesota because of the offense that they run. Goes to Buffalo, and you see exactly that. His All he did was get 50 more targets on the year, right? Other than that, his performance is basically the same. I mean, he actually played slightly better, but his numbers are incredibly similar. They're just scaled up. He just got 50 more targets sent his way over the year, which entirely backs up what he was saying, which is, look, I can just give me the ball more. Like, I can do more than this. Um, and in Minnesota, it didn't really make sense for them to do that because like, they were winning generally the way they were playing without feeding him the ball relentlessly. But Buffalo wanted to run a more pass happy offense and needed a, a receiver that could take that kind of workload so yeah it's it's a weird it's a very strange uh, very unusual example of a genuine win-win trade the vikings win because they get a player who appears to be as good for cheaper and got rid of a guy that was getting frustrated with his role there 
Buffalo gets a guy that could step in, have that expanded role, and dominate, and it's, yeah, both both sides made out. Yeah, Minnesota, as run-heavy as it gets, early down runs, and, and Buffalo, as pass-heavy as it gets. We saw games where they threw the ball 22 times and ran the ball once during that, you know, in the first 25 plays, that whole deal. So um, definitely a, a win for Stephon Diggs and the Buffalo Bills. I want to get into one that I might disagree with with Brad, or it's at least controversial, but first... A reminder that PFF has partnered with Symbol, that's S-I-M-B-U-L-L, the stock market for sports that allows you to trade sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Symbol has blended sports and the stock market to offer you a new way to invest in and profit off your favorite teams. You can check out MLB right now. It's in full swing. If you want to earn daily cash payouts, there's still a few NFL moves that might move the needle here throughout the rest of the summer. But especially once we get into August and cut day and some last-minute trades, that's when you should be investing. So use promo code PFF and deposit $10 at symbol.app slash PFF to earn a free PFF Edge annual subscription. I'm sorry, PFF annual subscription is what it says. That's promo code PFF with a $10 deposit at symbol.app slash PFF to earn a free annual subscription. He's got Brad for the Indianapolis Colts. Best slot, I mean, best contract slot cornerback Kenny Moore great worst contract quarterback Carson Wentz <laughs> how can you disagree with that it's the same contract that he had when he was in Philadelphia that they run him out of town with so it might be true <laughs> but I pose but I pose well the defended. question what would you have done alternatively if you were the Indianapolis Colts what well, would you do like do you they had to take a chance at the quarterback position after Philip Rivers retired yeah well, those are two different things so what's the what's the alternative there? They didn't have a great alternative. That's why they made the Carson Wentz move. That doesn't make it good. The Indianapolis Colts were left looking at this quarterback landscape heading into the offseason. Philip Rivers is retiring. We need a new quarterback. What are our options? Either we try and trade the farm for Russell Wilson, because at that point there's talk that he wants out of uh, Seattle wasn't ever on the table from the sounds of it either seattle wasn't interested in trading him russell wilson didn't ever seem particularly interested in leaving that whole thing didn't really seem like an option maybe they knew that at the time maybe they just didn't want to take the chance either way they weren't in that deshaun watson wants out of houston houston doesn't want to trade him and oh by the way there's a million allegations against him that are complicating the issues and and, you know making that a hell of a lot more difficult plus within the division that's not happening so deshaun watson off the table what else are we looking at now? Now you're talking free agents, Ryan Fitzpatrick. I mean, okay, but that's not exciting anybody. That's not that's what you do when you don't have any other options, right? Which is what Washington As did. a reminder, the top three free agent quarterbacks on the market, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Andy Dalton, Cam Newton. Right. This is after Dak, Dak Prescott gets Dak locked got, up. All this right. So there's not an awful lot of places to go. The draft, okay, we might get four or five guys in the first round, but Indy picks number 21. They were in the mix on Stafford. Yeah, Lose Stafford to the Rams. as well. So very quickly, the Colts were looking at this landscape and saying, we're not going to end up with a quarterback. Like, we're, there's no answer here. We're not going to go – we're not going to get the kind of caliber guy we want to step into what we believe is a playoff caliber team and take this team back to the postseason. We're going to need to make something happen. Wentz is basically the only option we have. An okay, a probable future first-round pick and picking up that contract – it's not good. It's more than we want to give up. It's a risk. It's it, it's it's not ideal. It's not the it's not what we would do given better alternatives. But there aren't any. And you know we have Frank Reich, who was the guy that got that MVP caliber season out of out of Wentz 
back in 2017. If he's going to succeed anywhere, it's here. So let's let's go. Let's make this happen and hope pans out. So, yeah, they they had to make this move happen, I think, basically through lack of viable alternatives. But it doesn't change the fact that it's the worst contract on the Colts. Correct. I would say of all the teams, we have talked about the Colts having some room. They've got the ability to maybe you know, make that move. Again, I, I think it was a necessary move for them. I think he certainly bet. Last year, everything was bad, right? Carson Wentz had 24 turnover-worthy plays, 50 sacks taken. Those were both most of the NFL, and he didn't play the final four games, mm-hmm. right? So it was worse than bad yep. last year. And Wentz, um, you know, last year's season is what his rookie season should have been. Like, that should have been his rookie season, and then he just continued to get better. It never should have happened in year five. So there's certainly a, a risk here. Um, I do maintain Carson Wentz is not a top seven quarterback, but he's probably a top 15 quarterback, all th- you know, based off everything we've seen. So maybe it, but he needs to play at least at that level to justify, you know, top 15 level, at least at that to justify this, this level of money and investment. Yeah. Even if there weren't great alternatives. Kansas City Chiefs, easy one. Patrick Mahomes is the best. Okay. It is a, is a friendly, a team friendly contract that also allowed him to get paid half a million dollars billion. and half a billion dollars sorry B. right half a billion dollars in total number but it's really a team-friendly contract it's it's a genuinely remarkable contract like overall it is it's an incredibly team-friendly deal and it's also structured in such a way that Mahomes is almost certainly going to see all of that money like the right. way that it functions <clears throat> it's kind of on a there's very little guaranteed, true guaranteed the way some of these other contracts are structured, but it's done in such a way that like, they're going to keep re-upping it. Like they're not, it's not going to change in that regard. So he's going to see all that money. He's going to get half a billion dollars and the team maintains a pretty good structure in terms of the deal overall. It's, it's a really interesting deal. Like that, I think, is one to actually look at how that's set out in terms of how the deal works and how negotiations are still painted as like player versus team or should you do a Tom Brady and just take a little bit of money off the top there's other ways of doing it I think this is a good example of the Chiefs have locked down arguably the best player at his position in the NFL for a decade and done it without completely crippling the team or without Mahomes having to sort of take this Tom Brady discount to help the team overall it's that is one it's we talked about that Buffalo-Minnesota trade being win-win. This contract, I think, is win-win. I had an interesting discussion uh, late last week with a former NFL cap analyst, actually. And he was. we were talking about the differences in agents and what they, you know, essentially how when you're negotiating, you, you kind of want to know what agents are after because a lot of agents are after that the first three years and just making sure that we get our money in the first three years. Other agents like bonus structures, don't like mo- all these different things. And then certain agents want to say, I get the top player at this position. And sometimes that's just for future recruiting purposes or whatever it might be, but it might not actually be best for the player as far as getting cash in their hands. So um, it wasn't, uh, it had nothing to do with Mahomes or the contract. It was just an interesting view that agents tend to have different goals. And I would say Mahomes saying, give me all the money. Let's make it 10 years. I want to build the Kansas City Chiefs and become a legend here, essentially contrasting that with say Dak or Kirk Cousins yeah. both got, you know Cousins especially is basically like give me as much money in 3 years so that I can Guaranteed. be a free agent 3 years yeah. from now be a free agent 3 years from now right and Dak kind of 
um, holding on to just kind of get his true value, which is more in the short term than the long term. Again, no knock on anybody. It's just different styles and different goals and different ways of looking at this and stuff. And this is Lee Steinberg, Patrick Mahomes' agent, who right. is the guy that apparently the movie Jerry Maguire was loosely based on. Like, that character was, was essentially Lee Steinberg. Um, also, Lee Steinberg was uh, Steve Young's agent back in the day. Still is, I guess. Right. Um, and Steve Young was another one of those guys that signed, like, a really creative contract back in the day with the Los Angeles Express of the USFL, which, by the way, is coming back. The USFL. It is? Yeah. It was, I think that broke when I was away. The in USFL? The no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Both the same year, 2022. But I, 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 I'm all for the minor leagues. I, I just wasn't think sure you don't why need too many of them. Like, why did somebody dig up like the intellectual property rights to the USFL? Why not just anyway? The USFL is coming back. Um, but back in the day, in like 1983 or whatever it was, uh, Steve Young signed this really creative contract that made him like the highest paid player in the in football ever, kind of thing, and then. I don't know, it had some weird structure where it was going to get uh, like an annuity attached to it that was going to pay him for like decades and all this kind of stuff. So my point essentially is that Lee Steinberg has pretty extensive history of coming up with very creative like contract structures that benefit everybody really. Like it benefited Steve Young at the time. It benefited the team that didn't have to stump up this giant sum of money day one. Same with Mahomes. It's going to make him half a billion dollars and it's also team friendly for the next decade. Now, on the, the downside for the Kansas City Chiefs, the worst contract, um, again, PFF podcast listeners will probably know this. It's Frank Clark, Yo. edge defender. And five years, $104 million, $18.5 million in remaining guarantees, uh, making over $20 million a year now. And Brad does a really good job just comparing, first off, Frank Clark's production, despite having some, some cool sacks at the right time during their Super Bowl run, on a play-by-play basis, just has not been uh, worth that level of money. The other edge rushers making over $20 million have pass rush grades. Here we go. Miles Garrett, 91.5. That's second since 2019. Miles Garrett, second. Joey Bosa, 91 pass rush grade. That's third. Khalil Mack, 89.3. That's fifth. It's Marcus Lawrence, 86.8. That's seventh. Frank Clark's pass rush grade is (laughs) 59.6 since signing the deal in 2019. That is ranked... 117th among any edge defender with at least 100 pass rush snaps. So I know he gave Chiefs fans all the feels because he sacked Ryan Tannehill after he held the ball for 11 seconds to like send them to the Super Bowl. But Frank Clark has rushed the passer over 550 times each of the last two years and has not put up that the level of production expected from those opportunities. Frank Clark has eight sacks in the last two postseasons. He only has 14 sacks in the last two regular seasons. But here's the really funny thing is that, okay, it's better, but his PFF pass rushing grade in the last two postseasons, despite the eight sacks, is still only like 60. It's not like he played like massively. He didn't like, you know, roll through, mail it in through the regular season. They're like, right, postseason's here. Now I'm going to catch fire, get eight sacks and be the best edge rusher in the NFL. He just like stumbled into some sacks. Like they just broke his way in the postseason, his like pass rush grade was basically as average as it's ever been. His pressure rate didn't skyrocket through the roof either. He the sacks just broke his way. So even the like even the things that you would look at and say, all right, yeah, Frank Clark's justified it. Look, he's coming up big with huge sacks at the right time in the postseason. 
Like it's not really Frank Clark winning much more than he has generally. The sacks just like sometimes sacks go your way. And the general rebuttal is, but he sets the edge in the run game, yeah. right? So here's we throw the buzz, throw the buzzwords back at us. Yes, we we chart that too. He's had 614 snaps against the run the last couple of years. He was uh, average in 2019 with a 68 grade. He was below average last year with a 50 PFF grade. All these stats available with uh, PFF premium stats as part of your elite package. 46.7 PFF run defense grade in the most recent playoffs. So. Not so much. Yeah, so again, when a guy sets the edge, we we grade that, right? When a guy jacks up a tight end and pushes them into the backfield and all the things that you know defensive linemen are supposed to do from a run game perspective, we will give proper credit for that. Not just tackles, but actually destroying blocks and um, actually setting the edge properly, not losing the edge. You know, all that stuff is is rolled in. So Frank Clark has has largely disappointed. Um, so all I have to say is just trust us on the defensive line stuff. I do believe we talk about punting sometimes jokingly. Like that's one of the best things we do. We've got a pretty good little matrix and an automating punting grades. But uh, defensive line stuff is absolutely one of the best well, things also, we do. Don't even trust us, right? Pick a game. Uh, no, pick more than a game. Check the PFF grade, right? Find a game that's somewhere in the middle or some or get an idea of what the grade says about that game in premium stats and then go through and watch it yourself. Right, and if the guy has got a forty grade in the run or against the run in that particular game, he didn't he didn't set the edge all day and dominate his side of the field and you know fall back every run and make that kind of impact even if he didn't get pressure he just didn't and go through it play by play and watch for yourself like sometimes the reputation just doesn't match up with what the guy is actually doing so week one uh, twenty twenty. Frank Clark had a grade of 34 in the run game, right? Go and watch that game and check for yourself if he was setting the edge all game long and making an impact that way. Week two, 54. Week three, 36. Watch those three games. Don't trust us. Go and watch it yourself and explain how you think that he was making this massive impact in the run game even if he wasn't getting pressure. Uh, I'm in a lot of meetings right now with NFL teams, agents, because we've got our PFFIQ product out there for, uh, for teams. It's just another way of... Uh, pushing forward a lot of our insights that aid in player evaluation, player valuation, the whole deal. And one of the cleanest examples I can give is, look, our pass rush grade, our run defense grade are really stable from year to year. They're very consistent. And this is a position that is often paid by one number, by one stat. Are you a 10 sack guy? Are you an eight sack guy? Are you a 13 sack guy? And we've beat a dead horse on this show saying, look, the sack totals tend to fluctuate, stick with the pass rush grade, stick with the run defense grade, because it, it is evaluating, last year, 915 snaps for Frank Clark, 885 the year before, not just nine, not just 13, right? Not just this hypothetical set the edge. So um, that was my pitch, by the way, for you know IQ, if you're an NFL team, you're gonna need it. But also just explaining why the Frank Clark deal might not be as good as it felt with all those postseason sacks. Mm -hmm. All right. Any other, uh, let's see what other good ones we, we have here. New England Patriots, Trent Brown, we have as their best contract. One year, $9 million, just to get a starting tackle and, and shore up that offensive line. Um, the Jets are an interesting one with Sheldon Rankins, best interior defensive line. Uh, their best contract we gave, it's interior defensive lineman Sheldon Rankins. Their worst. Still on the team here, Sam. C.J. Mosley. Still making five on a five-year, $85 million contract. They for, he hasn't played for them yet. He has not played. But the funny th the CJ Mosley one is interesting because like again basically hasn't played for the Jets yet 
Um, but even when he signed for the Jets, we were saying this is a bad deal, right? Like, even if they'd gotten two years' worth of starting quality out of C.J. Mosley, this would probably rank amongst their worst contracts. He's not because, 100, sorry, 114 snaps in 2019. Right, which basically not playing over the last two years. Just want to make sure somebody doesn't call you out and say, yes, he did play. Yeah, it was basically not definitively did not play a snap for the Jets essentially hasn't played for them because the totality of his appearances since he signed there is 114 snaps um and it's not because CJ Mosley is is a bad player like he's fine he's a solid starting uh linebacker which to be fair in today's NFL is getting harder to find than it was in the past but like they've paid him pretty monster money and if he'd had two years you know of similar play to what he'd had in Baltimore, which is good, not great, it would still be a bad contract. And yet, not only has he not had two years of like decent play, he essentially hasn't been on the field at all. All right, so I'm going to go to the NFC and run through some of theirs. Uh, Atlanta Falcons. One quickly, some- though. Um, do you think that C.J. Mosley has a higher ceiling now with Robert Sala there and a new scheme and a easy, not easier is probably the wrong word, but potentially a more... Uh, linebacker friendly offense than he was in beforehand defense yeah um defense sorry right um i don't think it's linebacker friendly so to speak i think it needs a really good linebacker i really think you know if you look at the solid defense and the history it's the seattle cover three with some solid wrinkles right i mean they, they run a little bit more quarters it's not just cover three the whole time but either way, the consistent theme, as much as we talk about Legion of Boom and all that stuff, has been a very good middle linebacker, whether it's Bobby Wagner, Deion Jones, when the Falcons peaked, and the whole thing. So I think, given the other linebackers on the roster, I think it's an opportunity mm. for Mosley. He's very athletic. He's, I remember when he came out of Alabama thinking he's not like any of the other previous Alabama linebackers. You know, the Dante Hightowers of the world and these you know, Reggie Raglins of the world, these guys who were like downhill, thumping hammers against the run. Mosley was quicker faster you know just a better all-around player or better all-around athleticism so I think he has a chance to thrive in Salah's system and I think Salah might need him so with all that money invested in him I think it's a great opportunity for Mosley and it's um, maybe a sneaky opportunity for Salah because the rest of the linebacking core just isn't all that great and I think he kind of needs Mosley in that system I mean I could could easily see Mosley having a career year within this defense now like this year yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Um, Atlanta Falcons stood out to me with um, Jake Matthews as the best five years, uh, $72.5 million. He is just a good, solid top 10-ish left tackle in the NFL. You don't hear much about Jake Matthews, right? Because he's just, you know, he's pretty good at his job. Good zone blocker, uh, good pass protector. Uh, but going back to the edge defender, you know, market here, their worst contract being Dante Fowler. Uh, this, is, this one's clear. You know, there, there are... There are warning signs in the PFF data against making these deals. And Dante Fowler is a, is a clear one. He had a career year in sacks only in 2019. Career year in sacks, 11.5 by the NFL, 15 by PFF. Signs a three-year, $45 million contract with the Falcons. And, of course, regresses. And last year's pressure percentage is 119th, right? And you just look back and it's like, all right, he played with Aaron Donald. He had a bunch of sacks. He got paid. Buyer beware uh, based off Dante Fowler's history and his pass rush grades and his win rate because none of that actually got better with the Rams. It was just the sack total. It's I don't understand how teams seem oblivious to that. Like, A, players coming from the season alongside Aaron Donald, and B, the Rams 
investing in players that just had the season alongside Aaron Donald. Like, okay, look, Leonard Floyd is a good player, but why would you send him all that? Why would you give him all that money having just experienced what happens when edge rushers come and go next to Aaron Donald? It just and seems Floyd, that Floyd is the one we have is the worst contract for the Rams. Yeah, it just seems that of all... I'll explain that one in a minute too, but... Of all the teams that should have an appreciation for the dynamics of play there, the Rams should be one that knows better than to invest big money in a player that, albeit is a good player and plays well, you know, you should know that you can plug basically anybody next to Aaron Donald. He's going to have a career year and make an impact because Aaron Donald has that, like, the aura around him actually impacts other players. Jake Matthews, right, by the way, is one of my favorite players for proving or showing an example of the dynamics behind sometimes sacks break your way and sometimes they don't. The last three seasons, Jake Matthews has given up 27 total pressures in 2018, 28 in 2019, and 29 in 2020. So very, very consistent every year. The pass blocking grade has been extremely consistent as well, 86, 85, 84. So basically like the same player same for three player, straight yeah. years, right? The sack totals of those pressures have gone from two to eight back to three. So like sometimes they break your way, yeah. sometimes they don't. When you give up a pressure, whether that becomes a hurry or a sack is basically nothing to do with you. It's entirely down to what happens on the back end or the coverage downfield, whatever. Yeah, Matt Ryan. You're a, you're a passenger at that point, right? Matt Ryan did a terrible job of getting rid of the ball in 2019 yeah. in general. So it's just a great example of like, it's a bad way of measuring because if you looked at his sack totals, you'd be like, oh, Jake Matthews had a terrible year in 2019 versus the other seasons either side of it. Whereas every other number says that actually he was exactly the same guy. It's just that Matt Ryan and other aspects of the game screwed him whenever he gave up a pressure in 2019. If you like fantasy football and you like playing fantasy for money, you need to check out Underdog Fantasy. Underdog's got everything, including season-long and playoff best ball. Best ball is a season-long game where you draft a team like you normally do, but that's it. No in-season roster management. Underdog automatically selects your best performers each week, saving you loads of time. Go to Underdog, Underdog Fantasy and deposit $10 using promo code PFF. And here you can earn a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's promo code PFF. Draft now at Underdog Fantasy. That, of course, is the no-brainer that we've talked about for a while here, 10 bucks to get your free PFF Edge annual. Um, our reader, uh, was it Devin last week too? Uh, was sure. He was excited when I turned his email into an ad read. I saw that. I still, spot. I mean, it just, no, I don't think you can do that. Hey, we made, made his day. He was excited about it. Yeah. You were making fun of me. Um, just to follow up on the Leonard Floyd thing, we do have him as the, the worst contract for the Rams, of course. Aaron Donald, the best one, because you just know what you're getting from Aaron Donald, domination. Yeah. Um, but the Floyd thing... It just it, it highlights the position that teams are in. I think the Rams looked at this and said, I don't know if we want to pay Leonard Floyd this money. However, what are the other options on the edge defender market from a free agency standpoint? Because you, you have to pay for all of the top guys on the market this year. It was Shaq Barrett, who goes back to Tampa Bay. It was uh, Matthew Judon, who made a lot of money. And Trey Hendrickson and Carl Lawson. All these guys made a lot of money. Yeah, but dude, like Melvin Ingram is still a free agent now. Melvin Ingram is I'm still I'm not saying available. there weren't any alternatives. But they're paying for the comfort level of we saw Floyd. He he was solid for us. But he's, like just look another perfect example of like the numbers just show you the story, right? You're, you're looking at his pass rush grades have been the same every pass year. Rush, but Leonard look Floyd. at the rest of the numbers, right? That's the great thing is Leonard Floyd is this hysterically consistent player where total pressures by year: thirty six, 
36, 39, 39. Oh, Aaron Donald's playing alongside me? 55, right? <laughs> Sack totals, 7, 7, 5, 3. Aaron Donald, 13. Uh, pass rush grades didn't change. They went from 65 rookie year, 61, 58, 61, Aaron Donald year 66. So it got marginally better in terms of pass rush grade. But basically, Leonard Floyd was exactly the same human. He just happened to get the benefit of Aaron Donald. Again, of all the teams that should understand how this functions, the Rams should not be throwing big money at that guy. They should be waiting until it's a bargain basement shopping deal for Melvin Ingram or drafting a guy in the middle rounds. Now, okay, the Rams don't have many well, th- draft that's, picks. That's what I wanted to highlight, right? Is this a residual effect? of the Matthew Stafford trade. It is, but... They're, it, I, I think it absolutely is but because also you can't generally where, find good edge rushers in the middle in, in the middle rounds and when you have other you don't need, needs that's to the fill. Thing. You don't need... This is the thing. This is the whole point is you don't need a good pass rusher. You just need a guy that's capable of like being fine. Um, and the Rams usually... They start off the draft often without many draft picks, but they've been very good at then trading down and like multiplying the number of picks that they have. They don't... They don't end up as hamstrung as they look like they're going into when they head into every draft because of the moves they make with you know, Jalen Ramsey, with Matthew Stafford, et cetera, trading away all their draft picks. They then tend to trade in the draft and accumulate more and actually come out of the draft with quite a lot of players every year. So they could have gotten a mid-round pass rusher is what I'm saying if they'd gone that way. They could have grabbed a Melvin Ingram. I'm just saying they didn't need to invest big money in Leonard Floyd and should have known that they didn't need to do that. And and all I'm saying is in their analysis, when they're going back and saying, should we trade for Matthew Stafford or should we not? In in the scenarios, it's, okay, if we trade for Matthew Stafford, we're giving up first-round picks. What is the trickle-down to the rest of the roster? Edge defender was still a need. Then when they were trying to fill that need, it could have been, we have Leonard Floyd that we could re-sign. Or if we had a first-round pick, we don't make the Stafford trade, there's a whole bunch of edge defenders that were available in the back end of the first round where they would, or in, in the 20s where they were picking, whether it was Jason Owe from Penn State or, you know, Quiddy Pay was thought to be there or Jalen Phillips. So that there's all these edge defenders that could have been in the equation. So I do think that's part of the analysis, which was, what if we kept Jared Goff and we drafted a first-round edge, save the money on Floyd, spend it elsewhere. So there's all the, and I'm not saying one is right or wrong, but I'm just, I'm just saying those things have to be considered. Yeah. And I think they lean toward Floyd because when you're lacking those first-round picks and you've got other holes to fill, it's like, all right, we might need to overpay for this one spot. But I don't think you need to, again, because of the Aaron Donald effect, you don't need to have a first-round edge rusher. The Rams came out of this right, draft I get it. with nine players, including, I think, five in the first four rounds. Like, they had picks to play with. They, they're very good at, you know, rebuilding a draft class despite trading away their top picks. So, okay, you're not, you're not picking in the first round. But the flip side of that is you have a proven commodity that you're happy with, whether it's Jalen Ramsey or Matthew Stafford or whatever it is, and you can still get good players in the second, third, and fourth round. Um, and because you have Aaron Donald, you can take a third-round edge rusher and actually have that guy become an immediately productive player because he's all he's got to do is like grab the quarterback when Aaron Donald chases him for his life out of the pocket. That's Boy, the whole we really point. Simpli- we've really simplified football. I love it. But there's truth in that. Um, the Saints are an interesting one for you, Sam. Best contract to Ron Armstead. Another good, solid left tackle that's been uh, dependable when on the field. Had don't, some injury don't be issues. Taysen. Don't tell me it's Taysen. Or it's just uh, QB slash running back slash tight end slash personal Stop. protector. Taysom Hill. Yeah, okay. It's pretty bad. 
It's not what it looks like, though. It isn't the, like, whatever it was, $140 million contract that's made up to look like Russell Wilson's. Oh, no. I mean, Brad properly wrote down it's two years, $21 million, with $12.2 million in remaining guarantees. But So if he wins a starting job, is that still the worst deal? Uh, no, because, because you'd assume— Because now you're paying a starting quarterback peanuts. No, I think, but I think there's the assumption that maybe he's not the starter. Which seems harsh. Why can't Taysom be the starter? How have you just completely flipped on this Taysom Hill? Taysom Hill's a joke it. and all I've this stuff. I've said from now you're day one, there is an offense you can construct around Taysom Hill hmm. that is productive and functional in the NFL. I've always just couched that with, I just don't understand why you would bother. Like, Sean Payton can build an offense around Taysom Hill that is actually interesting, productive, and kind of fun to watch. I just don't quite understand why you go to all that effort. Like, what is the point? Because you could build that around anybody. Like, why? Well, I, I, I just don't get it. But it, I, I've never crapped on it in terms of saying it, it's dumb, it doesn't work. It, I mean, it was fine. Let's just say if he is a change of pace in a quarterback in H-back, yes, yeah, that that's, would be that's, bad. That's overpaying. But if he wins right. that job, that isn't terrible. Depends on how he plays, too. If he plays the same, what if he plays the same as last year? He had like a 70 grade. Was... With the run first offense. I just think he leaves so much on the table from a pass game perspective. He does. It's also like. Yeah, like the actual money for what time... he gives you as a starting quarterback isn't bad. I right. Agree. And bear in mind, last year was basically the guy's first time playing quarterback properly since, you know, college. He's 33 or whatever. He's got a lot of Okay, upside. yes. The age is not helping him in terms of like, you know, future the, the whole young at the, the job gig takes a bit of a hit when you consider that he's, yeah, 30. Um, but it was like, it's like, remember the Leighton Van Der Esch discussion? Leighton Van Der Esch versus Tremaine Edmonds, right? Tremaine Edmonds was like 12 when he came into the draft. Leighton Van Der Esch is like 82 years old, but actually had less starting experience than Tremaine Edmonds, right? When you, and it's right. like, which is more important, young or inexperienced in terms of actual starting time or youth and just being younger like inexperience in terms of like life turned out neither because neither guy right because both guys progressed. have been bad uh, but initially it looked like it might be you know being young at the job being young and actual playing experience was more important Taysom Hill is actually really young in terms of a starting job at the NFL level playing quarterback he just happens to be 31 years old by the time the season rolls No, around. I don't think age really. I mean, I think experience matters far more than. Okay, so in that, in that case, the dude's basically a rookie. <laughs> He's barely played. So if he ends up winning the starting job, being better next year as a passer because he, it's his first real go at it. Are you Team Taysom over Jameis? Oh, yeah. Come on. I'm, I'm anti-Jameis. I'm done with it. I'm fed up with this crap that Jameis is eventually going to put it all together and be a great quarterback. you got to give him one chance I don't. in a I different, don't have to give him different chance. environment. I'm done with it. I'm fed up of this Jameis thing. It's never going to happen, and I'm sick of it. I'm Team Jameis. So now I'm going to hitch my wagon to the 31-year-old running back and, and roll with it. I can't believe Jameis has turned you from anti-Taysom to pro-Taysom here. I've never been anti-Taysom. Yes, you have. I haven't. Stop it. You just you were making fun of Sean Payton the whole time. That's different. The, I've all, yes. I'm always pro making fun of people. You got me sitting up again, sitting up and I'm, I have never on been the attack. Anti- this is Jameis's team. No, it's not. It's Jameis's team. Even if he wins a the starting job. sprinkling of Taysom. Even if he wins the starting job, it's not Jameis's, Jameis's team. team. Um, I've never been anti-Taysom Hill. I just don't get the point. This is Jameis's time to shine right here. But it's definitely you that turned me against Jameis 
like your insistence that he's eventually <laughs> going to put it all together. And you're I don't get know one- if I actually want Jameis to play this year because it's Michael Thomas and a whole bunch of nobodies. So I don't know if that's uh, the best situation yeah. for him. At least you got the dome, though. So many of my my views in, in conflict here. You get uh, the dome favoring Jameis. You get the lack of playmakers not favoring him. Yes, a lot of conflict here in my brain. Hmm. San Francisco 49ers, another interesting one. Jason Verrett, one year, $5.5 million. We're calling that the best one, especially coming off the year that he just had. Yeah, although you could you could make a case that that's his one. Now he's done. Back to back to the injury, scrappy. Maybe. Um, and then uh, Brad agrees with you that Jimmy Garoppolo is the worst contract on that team. Hey, despite see. $0 Told in you. remaining guarantees. Told you. Brad says it, therefore it's true. Move on. Here's one that's not good for you. Seattle Seahawks, best deal. Puna Ford for a two-down, run-stopping nose. You got, you know, your two years, 12 million. He's been solid. And actually rushed the passer pretty well. Yeah. With his uh, squatty body type on the defensive line. Worst contract for Shad Penny, the guy that you loved coming out. <sighs> running back from San Diego Damn State. Shad Penny. Now, to my credit, I don't love him anymore since he's been very bad at the NFL level and hurt. Um but yeah, that's that's a rough one for the uh, the prospect evaluation. Tampa Bay Bucks, Tom Brady, yeah, best contract, got to be worst is Ryan Suckup, the kicker. <laughs> and he wrote, we had to pick someone because the front office has done an excellent job in recent years of avoiding giving out bad contracts, so which is true. Kicker. They've done a really good job. So the Tampa Bay Bucks should get rid of Ryan Suckup and bring in Tyg, Tyg, yeah, who can save your roster spot as well. He can punt for you as well. And drop kicks. And then that'll help. So here's what the Bucks can do here. Since they're rolling six deep at wide receiver. Save a wide receiver. Keep right? the ball. Get rid of your kicker and Tiger. Bring in From Tig. our last podcast here, Tiger is going to become your kicker slash punter. See you later. Two roster spots. Tiger comes in. That allows you to keep Tyron Johnson. And look, he's learned now that people can Tyler block Johnson. Him so he can make some tackles. That saves Scotty Miller's roster spot. Tyler Johnson's mm-hmm. ro- roster spot. Now you can keep six active wide receivers, Jalen Darden's out there, yes. six active receivers, and, and that keeps them fresh, right? So instead of Mike Evans and Chris Godwin playing 60 snaps out there, they play you know 45 or 50, keep everybody fresh, keep everybody healthy, and that's how you just dominate through the pass game. Yeah, absolutely. Do you see, uh, was it Byron Leftwich talking up Jalen Darden? Said he looks like Antonio Brown out there? Yeah, we did a podcast about that. Yeah, I'm just mirroring it up. Do you remember that? I'm just keep look. That was two podcasts ago. Rashad Penny yes. is on the you know the low light reel in terms of like liking draft prospects and bigging them up. So far, with the caveat that you know nobody's played football yet, Jalen Darden is in the pro, you know draft prospect analysis column for me. So I'm gonna Dar- keep- you had you loved Darden as much as you loved Rashad Penny. Well, with the caveat that I didn't think he's worth like I thought Rashad Penny was well. Was worth the first round pick in terms of where running backs were going to go, not in terms of where we would draft them. Uh, I thought Jalen Darden was a really, really good receiver, uh, but I didn't think he was a first rounder. I sure. I think on my my personal Hari board, as people say, if they do, uh, I think I had Darden in the third. So fifth is a steal. All right, then. and that's a lot more than other people liked him. So yeah, I'm I'm counting that as a win. Team Darden again. The caveat that nobody's played. Football, Next to Antonio yeah. Brown. There you go. Uh, we did break down all those minicamp quotes two podcasts ago, so go check that out if you haven't. Um, so all that said, we went through AFC and NFC, hit on a few highlights. The 32 best contracts, though, it's over at pff.com. Um, some of the highlights from there. Stephon Diggs, who we mentioned. Um, so from like the high-priced guys as far as best contracts. Stephon Diggs, Darren Waller from the Raiders. I like that. I mean, you've got 
how many people have Darren Waller's skill set in the NFL? Three, four, we talked about? Yeah, at it's least. Chelsea Kittle and Pitts. Right. And Waller. So Waller's a steal. Danelle Hunter on this list. As, that's, you know, a, that's post re, re upping. They just redid his deal, right? Yes. Revised in earlier June, Vikings effectively converting it to a one year deal with an ultimatum to extend a release after the 2000, 2021 season, mm-hmm. per Brad in this write up. Uh, Devontae Adams. Nothing remaining in guarantees. Four years, $58 million. That's looking like an absolute steal for perhaps the best receiver in the NFL. Particularly as he's not fighting, you know, he's not he's not holding out for a new one. You know, like a lot of players at this point would be making noises and saying, redo my deal or I'm not coming to training camp. Like Adams is going to report as business as usual, you know. So that's great for like, having, not only having, like having a good deal in terms of like team friendliness is only good if the player is willing to roll with it, right? Right. Sometimes it's a problem if it's so team friendly that the player is agitating for a new one to the point where he's not planning on showing up to camp or all those kinds of things. If you have a team friendly deal and the player is perfectly happy to like continue on with it, it's Christmas. That's, that's tricky. I mean, that's Jamal Adams right now. Ready? He's ready for the big money yep. in Seattle. And, man, when you think about having already traded two first-round picks, they have to give it to them. So that's the thing. I think that's how you have to look at investment, right? Seattle is a, has invested multiple first-round picks and the money to pay Jamal Adams. That is a massive investment. And, that, and that's, my, that's my counter to the Orlando Brown contract mm-hmm. with Kansas City. It's a first-round pick plus this massive contract. And then that trickle-down of all the other things that maybe you can't do with that money has to all be factored in um so yeah the jamal adams the jamal adams situation um is going to be a big one for seattle because yeah they they pretty much have to pay him because they have to justify those those first round picks they gave up for. yeah i mean at the very minimum you need to factor in that impending contract with a trade like that that happens right you have to at least acknowledge hey it isn't just trading two first round picks which in and of itself is a huge deal drink for any there's one of those uh, comments that's personal language ticks in and of itself. Uh, so it isn't, isn't just what did trading. What you say again? What was it? In and of itself. In and of itself. Yeah, you did say that. Uh, so it's it's not just trading the two first round picks. It's also knowing that you're going to have to stump up a giant sum of money, which you are going to have to do because you traded so much to do it. That's one of those deals where you just can't justify, even if it goes south, you can't just say, the smart thing here is to walk away. Like that's one of those sunk costs where you have to eat it. You can't. You can't get away from that. You just—it's not possible. On the other side, there are a few safeties that make the best contracts list here. John Johnson, three years, thirty-three point seven five million. That was him just signing with the Browns. Uh, Harrison Smith is on this list mm-hmm. with a good five-year contract, and Adrian Amos with a four-year, thirty-six million dollar contract. Those that that trio: John Johnson, Harrison Smith, Adrian Amos. For a position that is generally pretty volatile, those guys bring some coverage flexibility on the back end. Uh, Adrian Amos just doesn't make a ton of mistakes. Harrison Smith is a playmaker at all levels. John Johnson is a very good, um, just free safety, general free safety. Um, Very few safeties have been as consistent as those guys. John Johnson, Harrison Smith, Adrian Amos. So getting those guys at reasonable money in a market that is kind of all over the place, the safety market, um, exemplified by Anthony Harris, a guy yeah. that we like a lot, getting one year four million. Now he's coming off of a, a, a year that wasn't as great, but again, I think you have to take the full body of work. Look at Anthony Harris as a pretty sure tackler who makes plays on the ball on the back end. 
as I look at this Eagles roster, they have, as much as it feels like they're rebuilding, and they are, they do have some sneaky good moves like this, like Anthony Harris for one year, $4 million, that I think could, could pay off. There's still the a lot of talent on that yeah. Philadelphia team. Like it didn't, They may be rebuilding, but a huge part of that is because we don't know that they have a quarterback yet. Um, in terms of the other aspects of that roster it's still it didn't go to crap overnight like a huge amount of it was just the worst the most important position on the team went from being good and not a problem to being bad and a major problem and they haven't necessarily fixed that um yeah anthony harris is an interesting one because generally i think because defenses in the nfl have changed over the last few years it's gone from everybody trying to run that seattle scheme cover three cover one with a single high free safety and a you know a, a strong safety that plays in the box or, or roams closer to the line of scrimmage so everybody's looking for the earl thomas everybody's looking for the guy that has the range and the ball playing ability to operate in the deep middle and still make an impact everywhere and most people couldn't find them that's why there hasn't really been a team replicate that defense as good as seattle did in my opinion it's because nobody has been able to find the next Earl Thomas. Nobody's come close to replicating what he could do in that defense, which made it all tick. But now everybody's swinging more towards the Brandon Staley, Vic Fangio split field safeties, where instead of having the single high guy in the middle of the field and the strong safety, now what you want is a guy that can do everything. So John Johnson, Harrison Smith, these guys are making those defenses work because they can do everything to a pretty high level. They can play that single high free safety role reasonably well, not as well as Earl Thomas, but well, well enough for you to run cover three on 15% of your snaps. They can also play in the box if you need to do that and you have another guy that you want playing free safety. They can do that for 15% of their time. They can line up covering the slot against the tight end. They can play you know, a quarter of the field when you run quarters. They can play one half one deep half of the field if you're running cover two essentially they allow you to be able to run any coverage that you want which is what the vikings do all the time they they run a little bit of everything it allows you to be versatile and, and multiple when you're running those fangio staley um, types of defenses with quarters coverage and all that kind of stuff so i think that's now what nfl defenses are looking for it's not this hyper specialized one trick pony at safety it's a guy that does everything to a pretty high level, which lets the rest of the defense work. Well said. Thank you. The more I think about the Seattle scheme, was it just a huge mistake for all of the, the coaching tree there to even try to replicate that? And we've said this before, but think about the roster that executed that. Yeah. The perfect free safety. Well, that's, that's the, the thing. perfect strong safety in Camp Chancellor. The perfect left corner in Richard Sherman. And really the perfect middle linebacker in yeah. Bobby Wagner. So that's the question. It's like, was... Was that scheme ever even particularly good, or did they just stumble into a perfect storm of incredible talent? Again, I, I mean, that's the question, right? Because, you know, if I find a decent analogy, I have to use it. This was, the, this was when teams, 10, 15 years ago, when the spread became hot, and it was like, is the spread working? Is it the system? Or is it the, the you know, you still have to have the players to execute it, right? So uh, Rich Rodriguez goes to Michigan, and he's yeah. a spread guru, and he's stuck with these six foot five immobile pocket passers and he's like oh yeah sure you're gonna run the keeper nick sheridan or whatever whoever the heck it was um it was i mean bad spread is bad bad seattle three is is 
looks bad, man. Like, if you just don't have the players, it feels like it's a more volatile defense because you need to have all of these pieces working. On top of this, by the way, they don't blitz a whole lot. So you also need a really good front four. So from a team-building standpoint, like, I need Earl. I need a Chancellor. I need a great left corner. I need a decent right corner. I need a great middle linebacker, whereas other schemes, we've seen what Indianapolis does. Play cover two, play some quarters, mix it up a little bit, and I can deal with lesser personnel and kind of hide them a little bit whereas i think the seattle scheme is just so specific that maybe you need greater players bad spread is also the uh, explanation for my current body composition as we we head through the pandemic workout regimen oh, bad yeah. spread bad it's spread not good yeah um yeah but like people Poor forget eating. that in addition to all the amazing players on the back end like those seattle defenses when they were amazing the front four had like Cliff Averill, you know, an elite pass rushing specialist. Michael Bennett at the peak of his powers, you know, wrecking things on the sort of strong side. Brandon Meebane, you know, had a couple of years where he was dominant inside. Like they had some legit pass rushers. Chris Clemens at the back end of his career. So, yeah, I think there's a very real question about whether that scheme was ever really cut out to dominate against NFL defense or NFL offenses or if Seattle just really f stumbled in to this dominant like if they had been a Tampa 2 team would they have been any worse would that have still been one of the best defenses in the NFL yeah like and nobody just, there is nobody there is worse cut out for that style of defense than they were for what they were running Cam Chancellor as much as he's hel heralded as this prototype for that cover three strong safety that you know blasts people at the line of scrimmage and all those kinds of things some of his best plays are deep in coverage and not just deep in coverage from like half the field but like when they would you know flip the safeties and swing Earl Thomas down into the box and suddenly Cam Chancellor's playing the deep middle like some of his best plays were doing that yeah and just to compare like from from a Tampa 2 standpoint listen obviously great players all make things better right we know that that's the case but back in the day when when Tampa wins the Super Bowl with their Tampa 2 defense and all that stuff. Who were the prototypes in the Tampa 2 defense? It was like, okay, you need this you need this Warren Sapp 3-tech. You need this Derek Brooks chase-and-run linebacker. But beyond that, did they have great players? Yeah, they had John Lynch. They had Rondé Barber. Um, who was the – Simeon Wright? Not Simeon Rice. Yeah. Was it Simeon Rice coming off the – they had good pass rushers. They had good players everywhere. But when you were trying to copy that defense, it was like, make sure you get a 3-tech. Make sure you get the chase and run linebacker. You got split safeties, so it's like, all right, you can deal with them. Corners, it's, it's good to have good ones, but you can kind of hide them a little bit. There was just fewer things that it felt like you really needed to replicate that defense, right? Or, or you know, that middle linebacker to run the seam, like an Erlacher type. I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking it, but feels like maybe chasing the team that had Hall of Famers everywhere wasn't the right way to go. Yeah, it, but it it's, it's very difficult because... I'm probably defense more than offense now. Um, eh, maybe that's not true. Whatever. It, we used to talk about coaching trees all the time, right? And there was two or three systems throughout the NFL. And when the, the way the NFL works, you just hire the assistant of a really successful program. And that's the guy that's now leading your team, and that's right. what you run. So you know, dating back to before Bill Walsh and all those kinds of things, like at one point you would see these graphics that show up during a game – and it's like, here's the Bill Walsh coaching tree. The entire league is now running these West Coast offenses, and it's just every yeah. coach in there was somehow dated back to Bill Walsh and all those kinds of things. It still happens. It's just slightly less um, one system than that. But 
it's very difficult, I think, for coaches to go, well, this is what I've been running the whole time, but I know it's a product of just, like, look at all the players we had. So I'm going to go somewhere else, and we're going to run a completely different system, like something, a, a total departure from what I've just run for the last few years that I've been taught by my mentor that I know that is, like, this is the thing. Yes, it was probably a reach and never going to happen for all these guys to leave that Seattle system, replicate what they had elsewhere. On the other hand, can you really expect them to do something different? Like, can you honestly? I think you can. I, th I think you've seen enough coaches. I mean, they're, they're, they're smart football people, right? I mean, they, so Dan Quinn's going to go to Dallas and probably run a lot of the similar a similar system but he's been the defensive coordinator like in florida running a different scheme like all these guys have been coaching for 20 years 30 years and done various things and it's honestly not that hard i mean raheem morris is a is a tampa 2 coach who's going to take over the Rams system and probably run a lot of the same i think the reports are out there a lot of the same stuff that brandon staley ran with little wrinkles here and there of course but i don't think coaches they're not idiots like they can they've all put a quarter's into their playbook before they've all put coverage they've all put the coverages in there it's just what's your mix of coverages and how do you teach right. it and all that stuff but i think the mistake from a hiring standpoint is when you was when you hire this is going to be a, a quick rant i guess but like when you hire the x's and o's i mean when you were, when people were just hiring anybody that had a coffee emporium with sean mcveigh a couple of years ago it's like how, how does that even make sense I mean, so everybody works a job i presumably most of our listeners have jobs mm. and in your job could you are you like your boss like are you like neil imagine if somebody no. wanted to hire you and they were like oh this guy worked for neil hornsby he must be just like neil mm. or this guy works <laughs> for george he must be just like george boy are they disappointed right <laughs> or, or or excited that you weren't exactly like neil or george who knows i mean so it is crazy to think that everybody's just like their boss just because they came from the same system so to speak right um, so like Zach Taylor's down the street here in Cincinnati, like, does he have the same playbook as Sean McVay? Sure. But like, we're a year removed. He's got a pretty important year here to prove that like, he's not just more than a Sean McVay, you know, coffee buddy. So mm. anyway, everybody can relate to that in real life. Right. So it yeah. doesn't make sense in football that you're going to hire just like, oh, you're going to bring what this guy brings. Like everybody's different. Hmm. I, yeah. I, it's interesting. I don't think it quite holds up that easily because like in in the nfl and when you talk about hiring coaches you are talking about like these guys have an actual playbook right like this is the thing we've been running there is a hard copy binder of this is our defense this is what we run now okay you're going to change that you're going to make tweaks you're going to but like you leave pff and go somewhere else you're not bringing with you a hard copy binder of like this is how to this is how to media like, this is how we do this stuff, right? This is the podcast chapter. This is what the podcast, like, you know what I mean? It's not, it's not as apples to apples as that. You have an inkling and there are ways that you're going to do things, but you're not, you're not literally bringing a playbook of this is how this thing functions. Or we're going to, like, page 12, we're going to change because that doesn't work with this guy over here. We'll, we'll make some tweaks, but, like, this is the system. I just think football coaches are a little bit more flexible than we think, or at least they can be. They can be, and if yeah. coach, And if they can't be flexible, I think that's – all I'm saying is I think that's a bit of a warning sign. I think that's, sure. a, that's a red flag. But I don't think – but I do think it's, like, reasonable to expect somebody coming from a defined system, particularly one of the ones that's, like, extreme. Like, if you were coming from a – like, if you're coming from a Mike Zimmer defense – now, this is tricky because Mike Zimmer, like, runs his own defense and, you know, the defensive coordinator in Minnesota – like is not 
you know, it's they don't like they're not there isn't a guy who's running the defense that works under Mike defense that works under Mike Zimmer who would be bringing that. You know what I mean? Right. But like, if you have experience within a Mike Zimmer defense, you're already like well cut out to be doing everything because they run everything. And the thing that makes that defense so special is like being able to diagnose and research and break down your tendencies, particularly on third down and essentially cause you an undue amount of problems on the most critical downs in every series. And that's how the Vikings, I think, probably overachieve compared with uh, the overall performance of their defense sometimes. Well, that's part of the skill set, right? Of it's not But, but it's my not point is, scheme, so you're already well cut out to do anything. Like, you can go to any defense in the NFL, and regardless of what your talent level looks like or the, the uh, distribution of players um, and how good they are, you can run whatever you want. Like, you're already well equipped to do that. If you're coming from a scheme that's been really hard line, like cover one, cover three, not too many changes, that old like the, the purest version of those Seattle defenses back in 2013 or whatever it is, I think it's probably a lot harder to like full pivot to a split safety quarters defense as your base. So there's also, I think, just a natural tendency because the league, you know, this copycat league and all that stuff, when Tampa 2 took over, what did offenses have to do? Well, everybody's running Tampa 2, so we have to find answers, right? So you started, you know, you know, high-low in the middle linebacker, throwing underneath, and just high, in, in shorter passes and higher completion percentages, and people found answers. Or you mm -hmm. run the ball, whatever it might be. The same thing did happen with the Seattle 3, too. Sure. Like, there are, there are weaknesses to the defense that have been exposed over and over and over again. So there has to be probably a shelf life and if you're just going to run the same defense over and over again. And the guy that caused it the most problems was Kyle Shanahan, whose offense has been, who's like a version of his offense has been the one that's in the ascendancy in the NFL right now. So, you know, they're kind of moving in opposite directions. Like the defense that was extremely prevalent, the thing that caused it the most problems is the offense that's now becoming really prevalent. So, of course, that defense's success is going to go down. So, that, like, like everything in the NFL, there's a lot of strands to this. I, I would, all I'm saying is, if I'm going to hire an offensive or a defensive coach, I think I just want to hear from them. What are the? Where's the league going? What are the trends? So, especially defensively, where are the trends offensively, and how am I going to combat them? Um, do yeah. I have some core beliefs and, and various that? Sure. Here's the thing. Maybe this is this is that's what the interview should be, right? It's forget your five year plan for this franchise generally. Talk to me about where the league is right now schematically, where it's going, and how you're going to stay one step ahead of it with what you're doing and with what your system, quote-unquote, is. So maybe we bypass this Palazzolo for GM. What about, like, Palazzolo for owner? This is you, you. you need to be owning the team. You yes. need to get – you need to – that you need to be make, asking those questions in the interview. All right, I'm throwing my hat in the ring. I'm just going to – I'm going to – Well, you know, you're not – I'm obviously, throwing my hat in the ring for some general front office jobs. I'm just doing it. <laughs> I don't think you're going to have the cash to buy an NFL team. From what I've seen, those are quite pricey. Well, maybe you could be part of a consortium, you know? You like, so like me and A-Rod or something. Yeah, yeah. So he, he stumps up, you know, a couple of billion. You throw in like 50 bucks, and you can now be in the room as, an owner, as part of the ownership committee. Any of our, uh, any of our listeners have Bezos on uh, line one? He might need a. He could buy. He could buy the whole league. He might need a co-owner. Owning Amazon must be great, right? Like, did you see what's her name, Mackenzie something, Mackenzie X Bezos? I don't. I can't remember what her second name is. But she's Scott. given away Scott. Mackenzie there you Scott. go. She's given away like two point six billion or something, or maybe it was the latest round is two point six and eight is the total. 
Anyway, she's giving away like a lot of billions, right? If she's a listener, she might be able to get us over the hump yeah, she, for you to dress up like me. <laughs> At PFF underscore Sam McKenzie, if you're listening, yes. we're only trying to raise 1500 I think you can cover that. Throw in whatever, whatever you However see However many billions you want. Right, yeah. to the GoFundMe and we're cooking. It's for the kids. Um, but she's given away like $8 billion or something, right? And is richer than when she started giving away money because the Amazon stock is just going through the roof. Yeah. That plus must the, be great. Plus the tax break. Who wants to pay taxes on that $8 billion, Yeah. Right? That, I just, that would be a great, the great situation to be in. Anyway, I like when we get into these discussions because it, it does it gets you thinking a little bit. So of Amazon um, stock? Well, before that, more oh. like the NFL. Sorry. What am I looking for in a, in a coach? Gotcha. Um, and look, Dallas is... There's a there's a balance between Mike Nolan comes into Dallas last year and runs a million different coverages that nobody could master, and a lot of times you you just go to the opposite next. Now it's Dan Quinn coming in running his system, which is consistent. That's how Dallas is is changing it. So. I mean that is a really interesting balance in terms of how do we run enough things that we're not so predictable that offenses can just carve us to pieces because everything is that way now, right? Offenses know how to attack cover two, they know how to attack cover three, they know how to attack pure man cover one offenses know how to attack everything you're doing so you have to run a bunch of different things and be able to disguise them enough and time them correctly so that you're like causing them problems and specific downs on the other hand you can't run so many different things that the like everybody on defense is spending half their time trying to figure out like crap what are we running here and just seizes up the way dallas did last year that that's a tricky balance so the one in my head I would I would love to run a scheme that was zone on early downs and then man on third down, but that that takes that's difficult to find players that can do all of that, right? Because, yeah, but the zone generally leads to more turnovers right. and the whole thing, and then all you want on third down is an incompletion, and man coverage leads leads to more just lower completion percentage. Theoretically, it makes sense, but it, it still comes down to personnel and playing around what and, you and, have, and it, like because defense is essentially reactive, right? So even if you in theory, you want to run more man or more zone coverage on early downs, but if they're giving you specific looks, you know, in terms of personnel or um, alignment or like what heavy packages or whatever, like that's going to dictate what you're running to a, to a certain degree. So even if you wanted to do that, you might face a bunch of offenses that just send you in the other direction. That's so a lot of times yeah. when you're looking at these defenses and you're pulling out the numbers of how much coverages of, you know, how much X coverage do they run, what do they do? Like you have to factor in who do they play. And they may have adjusted it, you know, at, right. the, at the line of scrimmage and say, look, oh, get to cover two, get to look whatever. At, you know, look at, um, remember when New England played Denver years ago? And it's like, well, in order to keep Von, when Von Miller was playing that like uh, two down, early down role as like an off the ball linebacker, and then on pass rushing downs would come down the line of scrimmage and play defensive end, pass rusher. The Patriots were like, well, if you're going to do that, <laughs> we're going to force you. Yeah, yeah. we're going to play in base and we're going to keep you away. We're going to prevent you from having Von Miller rush the passer because he's your best player. So like that, you would have to toss out that game essentially in terms of like learning what New England wants to do on, on uh, offense because it changed. Like it, it completely changed because of what, Von Miller was on the other side of the ball. So the whole show was about the best and worst, well, best contracts, best and worst contracts around the NFL. But we might need to add into the title too. We've, you know, got into some defensive strategy and team building strategy as we usually do. Let's wrap it up with a couple of the other best contracts that that Brad listed out at wide receiver. How about this? Mike Evans as one of the best, but also Antonio Brown. 
being there at one year, $3.1 million, right? Well, Antonio uh, Brown's contract will perpetually be a steal right up until the point he dumps himself out of the league by doing right. something crazy. But two bucks on the list at wide receiver, a whole bunch of left tackles. We mentioned Teron Armstead, but also Dwayne Brown, DJ Humphreys, Taylor Decker, all signing, all on reasonable contracts for left tackles. Stephon Gilmore's on the list. No money, no remaining guarantees. There's a reason why he's on the trading block, whether right. it's because he's unhappy with what he's going to get paid now. Uh, but the Patriots have essentially gotten a bargain with him. My guy Jameis Winston's on the list. One year, $5.5 million, Sam. Mm. Well worth the risk there. And we always have to say some sort of nice thing about the Steelers just to offset all the hate. Stephon Tewitt, one of the best contracts in the NFL. Yeah. Always Stephon- try to squeeze in some positivity for the Steelers fans. He's a great player, like a dominant interior pass rusher as well and a big part of that defense. Um, but like, as much as the Saints have been kind of, not ridiculed, but I don't think they've got a ton of credit for this whole like Jameis-Taysom hybrid mashup quarterback thing. If, if the situation is Taysom Hill is going to be the starter – and we're going to craft this offense around him, and Sean Payton will make it work, and Jameis Winston is here as contingency and backup and just in case the thing goes into the tank, that's actually not a dumb way of assigning your money, right? We have a starting quarterback who's not getting paid a ton by starting quarterback standards, and we have a really good in- insurance policy on the bench for $5.5 million. 5.5, like, yeah. In, when you look at it in totality, that's actually pretty smart. The only thing is, like, surely you could have signed Taysom Hill for, like, you know, 30 cents in a bag of beans. The um, the Saints, honestly, again, when you look at the roster construction, Michael Thomas, their wide receiver depth chart, Michael Thomas, Deontay Harris, the punt returner, Traquan Smith, Marquez Callaway, Jawan Johnson, who they're moving to tight end, Jake Lampman, I mean, Jalen McCle- McCluskey, Lil Jordan Humphrey. These are the guys yeah. on their depth chart. That actually, and with this offensive line, as good as it is it actually leans you more toward a run heavy Taysom type of attack Mm -hmm. what I think again I love the team building aspect of this preseason and then cut days are going to be crucial in those in those position battles where maybe guys miss out or whatever can New Orleans get the my, my Tim Patrick is the guy I keep bringing up as the guy that might be pushed out of Denver at wide receiver there's so many teams that have just this one spot or two spots that they really need to fill in August is going to be crucial for that. So we'll have yeah. we'll have plenty of that when we get there. Um, but New Orleans just doesn't encourage me until they have better pass catchers unless they're going to go the Taysom route and, it, and they try to mitigate that a little bit with a run-heavy attack. I mean, if they, do, if they do go full Taysom offense and Michael Thomas is your elite number one, you don't need that much more beyond him. The problem is when you go that run-heavy, and we see this in Baltimore, and Lamar's talking about it right now. Like, we got to get better on the deep ball. You If you're... If you're a run-the-ball team, you have to have some sort of vertical attack off of it, or you're just a... But Michael Thomas can do that. He just hasn't. I don't know if he's that good. I still don't know if it's his skill set. He hasn't been asked to do it a ton, but I still don't know if it's his skill set. And honestly, it's not really Taysom's skill set. We've said now his timing the on the problem. deep ball is an issue. That, to me, is the bigger problem. I Look, I don't think Michael Thomas is ever going to be Julio Jones on the deep ball, but I think he's better than most receivers in the NFL at just being a deep receiver sure he just doesn't get asked to do it or didn't get asked to do it very often within that new orleans offense they've had that designated deep threat elsewhere and it just hasn't been what they've asked him to do but i think baltimore is a good example that look if they run if michael thomas was on the baltimore ravens team the last two years he i don't think they would have needed 
to go searching for Rashad Bateman and other receivers and Sammy Watkins and try and stack up these guys because instead of Hollywood Brown, you would have had a genuine elite superstar number one receiver who can also run deep and and get those chunk plays. That's it, right? If, If New Orleans goes that style of offense with Taysom Hill, Receiver-wise, I think that's enough. Now, would you like an extra guy as number two? Absolutely. But do you need it? Probably not. The bigger problem is Taysom Hill is a second slow on every deep pass he puts in the air. And that's a problem because he doesn't have one of the biggest arms in the NFL. He can't be a second late and still get the ball where it needs to go. So Taysom Hill needs to get quicker with those deep shots in terms of just getting the ball out of his hands. Otherwise, it doesn't matter if it's Michael Thomas or Hollywood Brown or whoever the hell it is at wide receiver. They're, they're going to be trying to win a, an underthrown jump pass every single time, and that's just not efficient. Yeah, I think that all makes sense. It's, it's a bit concerning if you're going to run that offense with a whole bunch of just big-bodied possession types plus Michael Thomas. I'll leave it at that because that's what they have in New but, Orleans. But I do think that potentially that style of offense with, you know, if, if the Taysom Hill offense looks similar to the Lamar Jackson offense in Baltimore, I think with Michael Thomas there, it can work. The bigger, quest, the, the bigger concern to me is not, my, does Michael Thomas have enough as a deep receiver? It's can Taysom Hill even hit those plays? Yeah. Well, let's wrap it up with that. Good show, Sam. That was fun. Talking contracts. Let us know. Always let us know. NFL podcast at pff.com. What else do you want us to talk about this offseason? By the way, the PFF 50 mm. is on the website right now. We've decided well, we're going to. The first 10. The first 10. Oh, we're, and we're, by the first 10, I mean the bottom 10. So 50 to 41. Or oh, something. so we're unleashing it throughout the week. Yeah. Okay, so the PFF 50 is being revealed throughout this week, which means next week is going to be our PFF 50 show. We'll probably bro- be broken into two shows. We'll tell you who the best players in the NFL are. By the way, shout out to Charles Miller, who did the graphics. Oh, for it looks these. amazing. Dude, he did like a. PFF comic book cover for every one of these players. It looks unbelievable. And they look insane. They're not all on the article, but I think they're all going out on social media um, throughout the week. But they are incredibly good. That dude is a Rembrandt. Charles and his entire team have just continued to get better and better, making PFF look good. So shout out for sure um, from an image standpoint. Um, So check out the PFF 50. It's over at pff.com, rolled out throughout the week. We're going to break it down next week on the podcast and perhaps even have a member of the PFF 50 or even the PFF 10, top 10 player, Yeah, perhaps uh, on the show. That's good. That's always less week. awkward than when we have a guy that's not ranked, you know? So, Dar- hey, you're not one of Darius the best players Leonard in the NFL, will, but come talk to us. Uh, anyway, we'll have, uh, we'll have somebody on the show to, uh, to break down his ranking and tell us where we got it right or where we got it wrong. Sound good? Yeah. All right, we'll be back here on Thursday with more awesome PFF NFL podcast action. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. See you Thursday.